Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. I'm Jacob Malicic. I'm one of your hosts. We got a tough one today, uh, one that's very topical, uh, one that is related to a lot of things that are going on in our world today. Joining me, as always, is Matthew Westfox, and we're going to be talking about heroes. Now, I know what you're saying. Aren't you always talking about heroes? Isn't the name of the podcast Superhero Ethics? Yes, but this is a little bit different. We're going to be focusing a little bit more on real-life heroes, on heroes in the real world. Uh, the idea being we want to talk about what differentiates uh, the heroes that we have in nonfiction world, or our everyday heroes, from the ones that are portrayed in media. What are those uh, distinctions? What are those differences are good? What do we feel might be a problem? What uh, makes it so that it's harder for us to to determine who is a hero or to unilaterally say this person's clearly a hero in real life, the general direction the topic is going to go. How are you doing today, Matthew? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And I'm, I'm really excited for this topic. Uh, Jacob, I know it's one you came up with that I thought was a wonderful idea, especially because, as you say, this is a topic that's in the news. Um, we're, we're talking right now about sports heroes and what it means for them to, to be heroes on the field of sport and then to cross over into to other parts of life with political statements. Um, we've been talking and we'll, we'll talk, uh, we will continue talking, I know, today about what happens when uh, people who we have as heroes fall from grace. Uh, it's happened with Joss Whedon that I know we're going to talk about and other things like that. So um, this, is a, this is a great topic. I'm really excited for us to dive into it. All right. Well, to kick us off, let's start with talking about, uh, in just sort of very existential sense, what do we feel makes someone a hero in real life? What, what kinds of actions do they take or do we expect them to take? What kind of... I don't know, maybe personalities do they have, or, or what are the, some of the things that we start to look at somebody and go from just a public figure to, okay, this person is doing something heroic. What are your thoughts on that? There's a couple things. I think the first thing for me is that we're talking about someone who's inspirational, someone who I look to and say, I want to try and be more like that person. I want to follow their example. Um, now, a lot of times it's going to be, you know, I, I, I can't honestly throw a ball the way many of my sports heroes do. But could I maybe have the determination or the grit that they do or be inspired by that? Things like that. Um, I think that, that to me is the first part. I think also really, really important is when I think of a hero, it's someone who I think is going above and beyond what I might expect of them. You know, the, the, we talk about people who are sort of everyday heroes and, you know, just the work that they do every day is heroic. But the... The, the teachers who are going above and beyond what could, could be expected to really to really be there for their students, the, um, the, the people who are uh, in our own world right now um, taking stands that put their careers or put even maybe their lives in danger, but they're willing to do things like that. Um, to me, that's what makes a hero. What about for you? I, I, I agree with a lot of that uh, in a lot of ways, and I'm, this is me acknowledging some of my own bias. I think it's easier to to start looking at somebody in heroic terms when we see them emerge victorious in in the face of, of adversity. And what, what I'm saying by this, I, I think this is a problem, but it's one that I'm willing to acknowledge that it's, it's much easier for me to start looking at somebody in heroic terms when I see them triumph over adversity. So a hero probably, has to win. Right, which is, I don't think, correct, but I feel like that... that that ticks a little box in our brains, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean, where we are like, okay, this person succeeded. Uh, so that to me, I feel 
begrudgingly becomes a prerequisite, even though I don't think I want it to be. Uh, more than that, though, um, and again, I'm acknowledging my personal bias here, um, I have to believe in them. I have to believe in yeah. what they're saying. I have to believe in their message. And they have to have one of those, right? They, they, they kind of have to have something that they're standing for, something that they're representing that is larger than themselves, larger than, in, in some ways, larger than life. But, I mean, only just, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you take a, a figure like Martin Luther King uh, is, I feel, a good example where it's, you know, one person can't really affect that kind of change. And I think internally we know that. But when one person is putting themselves out there as a catalyst for that change, that to me feels very heroic, uh, particularly because it is an example of them putting their life on the line in yep. in some ways when that opinion is uh, is controversial and when that opinion is not held uh, or rather the antithesis of that opinion is held by people who tend toward uh, some some violent habits well and I think Martin Luther King is a great example especially because he and, uh, and this is something that a, a number of people have pointed out in the last day or two we think of him today as you know clearly a national hero beloved by everyone held up as sort of the one good civil rights leader in, in ways that are very problematic sometimes. But, but certainly we think of today, you have to be a pretty strange person to not think of Martin Luther King as heroic. Um, and there was data that was shown that as, as late as 1966, almost at the end of his work, something like 61% of the country had an unfavorable opinion of him. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, still so many people saw the actions that they were doing as unhelpful um, and didn't really support the civil rights movement. And, right. and to me, that's very striking because it also reminds me that the idea of who we now look back on as historical heroes is often very different from who are the heroes of today, you know, and that a lot of time, and, uh, you know, that a lot of times there are people who today who maybe a couple of us hold up as heroes that I think far more of history may see as heroic or vice versa. Um, right. But to me, that was just so striking because, you know, again, King seems like such the, the easy one to go to as the hero. And in his own time, he was absolutely not seen as that. Yeah, it's funny because I was thinking about myself, hey, I'll cop out and, and reference Martin Luther King. No one could possibly call me on that one. But you're right. And, and it's actually a, a, it goes to another point I wanted to cover that um, one of the one of the difficulties we have in accepting heroes in real life versus fiction is this, especially in our current time, is that it's very difficult to see somebody is as unequivocally good or and I feel like a lot of us expect that I feel like we want we either want them to have opponents who are like literal monsters yeah uh, so it's like very very easy for us to say yep they're good they're good people but instead they're, they're real people with with real problems real complexity uh, and real flaws well, and I it's oh, go on oh I was gonna say I think that that really gets to the idea of what do we mean by hero because um, I actually really like what you said about that, that begrudgingly, but you'll accept that for you, a hero has to be someone who, who you know, uh, uh, is victorious in some struggle. Well, for the most part, you have to be struggling against someone, something, mm -hmm. um, but most often a someone. And I think, I think you're right. I think in all of the stories that we talk about, and this is something we've talked about explicitly on this podcast, but we're almost always looking at someone who is you know, that it is a lot easier to have a hero when the bad guy is pretty clearly bad. You know, uh, Joker, people think of the Joker as a great character and a fascinating character, and he has an interesting perspective. 
But, but very few people want the Joker to win. They clearly want Batman to win. We want Captain America to win. Um, and I think that that moral clarity is an essential part of what gives us our heroes in fiction. And, and I would say that moral clarity is hard to come by in the real world. The actual fact is for a lot of people, it's very easy to come by. And I think that that's very scary. Right, sure. And interestingly, I think that that's the cause for a great deal of divisiveness uh, between what myself versus somebody else might think of as a hero. If I look at things objectively, I can look at somebody who I do not personally feel as a hero uh, in our society right now that checks all of these boxes for, for many people. And in fact, even I would have to say does in fact check these boxes. They, they took a stand uh, when it was difficult and unpopular. They stood on their principles. Uh, they have a they, they appear to have a clear idea of what they feel is right or wrong, and they they triumphed over adversity. But I'm talking about Donald Trump. Yeah. And I, and he, I could and definitely he is a hero see, to a large number of people. Right. Exactly. And I could definitely see why. I could definitely see uh, how the progression of his rise to power um, created this this image. In, in people and now they they hold him up they hold him on as as a paragon of their ideals a representative of their ideals uh and it's because of that idea of of i know what's right and wrong i have perfect clarity and i don't question it i feel that we can get ourselves into situations where we end up with people who i feel take very questionable actions and very questionable stances but because we've already sort of talked ourselves into them being our um i don't want to use that word that's a little bit charged <laughs> i'll use paragon again right i think you know where i was going but but our, but our paragon uh so we just sort of keep flowing along with them and that can become a real problem if they take a very sharp turn at some point or do things that we would normally have considered a problem but because it's our hero doing it we, we wave it off or we find good excuses or good reasons for it. Right. Well, and I think that this is a really important point, and this is something we see in both fiction and in nonfiction in, in our real world. I mean, I'm really struck by what you said about that kind of danger of the perfect moral clarity on behalf of our heroes, because this, this is to me why every time I, I rewatch the movie Civil War, uh, Captain America Civil War, which I, I've watched many times, it's one of my favorite movies of the, the Marvel genre, um, you know, Captain America gives that speech – or no, I'm sorry, um, uh, Carter, uh, uh, Agent Carter's uh, niece, whose name I'm, I'm blanking out at the moment. But she gives Pe – uh, Peggy Carter's niece. She gives that great speech about how, you know, Pe Aunt Peggy always said that you, 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 if you know that you're right, you say, I'm going to be – I'm going to stand here like a tree and everyone else has to move around me. And, mm -hmm. we, and we cheer that moral clarity because when right. we agree with that moral clarity from someone like Captain America, we think that that's great. Um, I also remember that President George Bush, uh, George W. Bush, when he was talking about his utter complete moral clarity about bombing Iraq, he used almost that exact same kind of language. And to many people, he was and, and still is a hero because he had that complete moral clarity in ways that to those of us who disagreed with him, it was terrifying. Um, and, and, and so I look at, uh, you know, in both of those figures, I think so many of the things that can make people a hero feel like double edged swords to me. Like, mm -hmm. and it's so much of it. And this, I think, I know we're going to talk about really comes out in the way we tell superhero stories, but it really all comes down to perspective. You know, you could tell a story about the brave minister who 
um, you know, goes up against adversity to challenge the racial politics of his day. You could also tell a story about a minister who uses the power that he has to take horrible sexual abuse of woman after woman after woman. Both of those are the story of Martin Luther King. Um, you know, I, to me, he is absolutely a hero. He's also a flawed hero who had sexual politics and sexual practices that were deeply concerning. Um, but, but I think, you know, you can tell that story from either one of those perspectives and make him out to be a hero or a villain or a flawed man or a great man or, or pretty much anything you want, depending on how you tell that story. Right. So I'd like to move on to uh, some some examples. So we're going to do here, I, I, well, what I would like to do here is take a real world example of, of somebody that some are considering a hero and compare it to a fictional hero and look at how we treat them differently how they're treated differently by by perhaps the same people, perhaps by our society, and and talk about maybe why, maybe postulate why we might be handling the situation differently because they're not, for example, uh, wearing a super suit and going around and saving kittens and trees, right. whatever. Uh, so I would like to start with somebody who's who's under considerable fire uh, and, and they have a lot of supporters and a lot of opponents. So it's a good example of somebody who's sort of this divisive uh, hero where a lot of people are very much in support of them and, and some people are not. Uh, both, I, I feel, have some justification for their argument, uh, which is uh, Colin Kaepernick. Right. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I, I believe you did, yeah. And just for All right. for the two people in the world who, who may not quite know what we're talking about, he's the um, – uh, former quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers who quite famously took a knee during the, the uh, national anthem at a, before a football game um, because, as he said, he, he really couldn't stand up for a, to celebrate a, a flag in a country that uh, at a time when so many black men like himself were being executed by police without any justice. Um, and, and he's the one who has really started this whole movement um, of take a knee to, as a protest against police violence and against police brutality and racism. And who has suffered for it, who currently does not have a career. Um, right. He has not been signed to another NFL team because of his actions. Right. And for for people who really resonate with his message, uh, he's very much a hero. This is somebody who put his career on the line and and put his his, his persona is already well known to the public. So he put himself at risk in a lot of ways in order to make this statement because he felt that it was important enough to do that, to take that action, to take that stand or knee as the case may be. Right. Uh, so the, the opponents uh, for people who aren't, who I guess have managed to somehow duck the latest <laughs> news cycles. I, it could happen. Uh, I used to not keep very apprised of, of current happenings in the news. Uh, but in case you were not aware, uh, the opponents, the people who, who say that this practice is, is bad or he's, he's setting a bad example uh, the the argument appears to be that it is very unpatriotic, very disrespectful to our men and women in uniform, to the people who serve our country, uh, to not to not stand. They they see the the standing for the national anthem as a show of respect and deference to to our military and to our leaders, and and to our flag, the ideals our country represents. And this causes a lot of back and forth. This causes a, a lot of division. Uh, and it comes down to really, I think, uh, the fact that uh, Colin is making a lot of people question: What is patriotic? What is American? What, what do we right. see? What actions does somebody take 
that make them patriotic because a lot of us associate patriotism with heroism. And so whether or not he, his actions are patriotic actually defines for us whether or not he's a hero, which segues very nicely into the fictional comparison I want to make with Colin, uh, who is unquestionably patriotic in every form of media he's portrayed because he's literally Captain America. Right. Um, yeah. I, 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 think, I, I think it is such a great comparison to link the two because I think I, – for me, I will say very much so that Colin Kaepernick absolutely is a hero. Um, I, I, I see him, I, I, you know, when, when we start, first started talking about this topic, I think for both of us, he was the one we first had in mind because he is, to me, the definition of an American hero right now. He was the impetus for me creating the topic in the first place. I was yeah. like, you know what? This is, <laughs> this is good. We need yeah. to talk about this. And, and I, I, think, I think the Captain America comparison is perfect because one of the things I have always loved about Captain America and his story is that he really gets at the heart of the question of do you stand by the symbols of America or do you stand by the things that those symbols are supposed to represent? And, and then most importantly, what do you do when the symbols are no longer standing for the ideals? Because I, I think there, you know, what I think is really interesting is for the person who is known as this incredible patriot, he's not Superman. He's not right. the person who says, yes, sir, you tell me what the problem is, I'll go fix the problem. Again and again, Captain America is willing to say, you, the people in government who are supposed to be giving me orders, are failing to live up to the ideals that you're supposed to. I'm not going to follow your orders. You know, and right. he, he does that in Avengers. He does that in um, Winter Soldier. He does that in a number of the comic stories. Um, and, and there's this constant tension in his life of him both wanting to be a symbol of America but also really wanting to fight back against the people who are misusing that symbol. And, right. And, and to me, that is so much what Colin Kaepernick is doing with this, with this statement because – and he has, he has spoken about this quite often, that for him, this is not about hating America. This is not about standing against America. This is about saying that America right now is not living up to its own ideals and that he doesn't feel like he can respect a flag and he doesn't respect – he can respect uh, the, 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 the anthem – when he feels as a black man, he is not being respected by the country. Right. And, and I mean, in order for a protest, and I feel, I feel the need to say this, in order for a protest to be effective, it has to make us in some way uncomfortable. Yes. Or if, if not uncomfortable, it has, to, it has to get our attention, right? It's not a successful, peaceful protest that somebody easily ignores and goes, eh, eh, that's kind of cool, but not a big deal. So it has to be – you have to do something that is going to ruffle some feathers. And I feel that the the choice that he's making here is very similar to the choices that we see Captain America making when he sees the American government taking actions that he feels do not fit with the ideals of the country that he is supposed to be representing. Um, the difference here is that uh, Captain America is very difficult to argue with. Right. Uh, but in part, that's because, and I, I'm going to uh, perhaps uh, overstep my bounds in this particular comparison, but I do feel that they share another thing in that they are built up by our society. Captain America is built up by the American society as somebody who's supposed to be representing uh, what is patriotic and what is wholesome and American and good. And we, I feel we do that same thing with our star football players 
because football, football is a very ingrained part of our culture and of a lot of people's uh, American life, they associate it with being American. It's one of the things that we red-blooded Americans enjoy. Yeah, sorry about that. My, my Skype just died on me for no reason. Yeah. I wonder if uh, people are listening into this call and we're all like, oh, he's talking about patriotism. <laughs> Shut him down. I, I mean, we did have the cops come to, to Paul's house when we were talking yep. about hypothetical killing of people in the White House. So, uh, again, yep. very hypothetical. But but, but I, I think you're right. Uh, to, 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 to get back to your point you were making about the role that football plays, I mean, if Colin Kaepernick were a man in the stands who was refusing to uh, stand for the national anthem, nobody would care. You know, he is go up to get like concessions during the national anthem. People super don't care. And and I think I think it's essential not only that he's a professional athlete, which we already think of as kind of superhuman in their athletic abilities. I mean, there is a very direct comparison to the superheroes there. Um, I mean, there are things that he can do with his body that I would not I could spend years in a gym and could never throw a football the way he could. Um, but but also football, I think especially, plays such a specifically American – as you said, it's the thing that red-blooded Americans are supposed to love. Um, right. You know, we, George Carlin did a hilarious thing about how baseball is this sort of sport about trying to get back home, whereas mm-hmm. football is a sport for warriors. Football is a sport about two armies on the, on the field battling it out. And I think, you know, is it – there are a number of basketball players who have been very critical of the president. And, and Steph Curry recently got a little bit of attention, but nothing mm-hmm. like what has happened here. Um, right. I, I think the specific fact that Colin Kaepernick is a football player, in, in the same kind of way that if Tony Stark were to make a statement against, against the American government, everyone would kind of roll their eyes. But when Captain mm-hmm. America does it, that, that is listened to. And I think yep. here's maybe something we could add to that definition of heroism – it's when you're willing to take the position you have and to use it in uncomfortable ways, but to use it for yeah. things that only you in that position could do. Because I think that's mm-hmm. one of the real keys here is that, you know, Colin Kaepernick had a very had a very good potential to have a very comfortable career as a football player. Um, you know, his career was a little bit on a downswing. He might not have had the back to the Super Bowl days he, he had had before, but he was going to be very economically comfortable. He was going to be very, you know, professionally comfortable. And he put all that ri- at risk, but cl- I think both Colin Kaepernick and Captain America have a position that allows their voice to be very heard because they are saying something, as you said, that people don't expect. People expect Captain America to go along with the government's plans. People expect Colin Kaepernick to be a good boy and to stand up at the national anthem and to take his money and to perform like, like a circus monkey – um, in front of the crowd, and I say those words very intentionally with, with racist tinges to them because I think there's a really racist attitude to which we view especially black professional athletes that they're supposed to perform for us and for our entertainment, but they are not supposed to actually have opinions and points of view. Um, Which is funny because in, in, we're, we're the people who want to keep those people in their place, people, people like Colin in their place, are doing themselves a disservice by allowing him to have as much power over them. Yeah. Right? He's actually demonstrating, and yes, the, I, I wanted to uh, to comment that you made a great point and something we missed when we talked earlier. Heroes are powerful. Heroes have the capacity for influencing change. Um, and this is absolutely true here. 
And it's true in part because people are upset by what Kaepernick has done. Well, and I, I think and, – and, and to me part of this also gets to how much, how much our, our idea of what people are supposed to do changes. Because one of the things that I think is hilarious about this whole situation with Colin Kaepernick um, – and again, it kind of gets to this idea of what is a person – how a hero is breaking the mold is there's this, there's this counter-narrative that says sports people are not supposed to be political and that we should all stand for the, the national anthem. When, when first of all, as, as you pointed out, most people at home or in the stands are not standing at attention for the national anthem. And even the idea that the players are supposed to is, is a, was a very manufactured thing that only started with the uh, after 9-11. Mm-hmm. But even more than that, I, for me, I'm someone who grew up with a father who loved the Brooklyn Dodgers and who always talked about Jackie Robinson in the same voice as Martin Luther King. I'm someone who had a mother who thought that Martin that, – my mother uh, worked against Vietnam, and she thought one of the greatest heroes against Vietnam was Muhammad Ali for refusing to be drafted. You know, we have this uh, – the, the, the three uh, 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 sprinters, I think, or runners who raised their fists at the 1968 uh, – the two uh, who raised their fists at the 1968 Mexico City Olympic Games in, uh, as a black power gesture. The, the, the history of political figures, of sports figures making political state, statements or, or their very lives being commentary on the, the political and the social issues at hand, there's a long history of that. But with Colin Kaepernick, we have reinvented this narrative that says athletes are supposed to be quiet, they're not supposed to have opinions, and it, it's both deeply upsetting, but it's also because of that, as you said, that, that Kaepernick has as much power as he does. Right. And it's it's a good point, and I think it's a good way to, to slowly transition toward uh, our next set of examples by bringing up one that I didn't think to put in the notes. Um, so there's this there's this uh, narrative to, in today's day and age about uh, uh, staying in your lane. You're not supposed to talk to topics that you're not a part of, right? I'm not supposed to sit here and talk about, like, I'm not supposed to be sitting here and talking about anything political because I'm not a politician. I don't work in the political realm, apparently, right? Or like um, one, like uh, one of my coworkers shouldn't be talking about uh, what's, what's, I'm trying to I'll come up with an absurd example because I want to illustrate exactly how I feel about this. One of my coworkers is not supposed to be talking about the ability of somebody to serve fast food because they don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's silly. You, there are certain things we can all understand. Somebody I, I just thought of, though, uh, also in the public, but not a sports figure, but somebody else that's in a position that we we as a society give a lot of power to. Uh, in this case, I'm talking about Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel recently has been talking uh, about the the – acts to repeal Obamacare and the um, the legislation that's being proposed to replace it uh, and how damaging it is and and how poor it is. And, and he's citing sources. He's talking about, you know, there's all these various medical associations that are – and they know what they're talking about that are saying this is a problem. Yet the overwhelming narrative all thrown against him appears to just be uh, you're a funny man and a um, – and a celebrity, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. You know, let the people who craft policy and and know about these things, let them figure it out. They they know what they're doing and stop like trying to rock the boat when 
you clearly don't have any idea. It's 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 a very similar idea, except that interestingly, it's less about stay in your place, and with, with Kimmel, and more about just well, you don't know what you're talking about, which is I think a little bit upsetting because I feel like if we were telling our athletes, I feel like you couldn't even advance the argument that our that our athletes don't know what they're talking about in this case, that Colin doesn't know what he's talking about in this case. Uh, so the argument is instead even worse, and it's saying you, you don't have the right to do that. No, and It's I, not I, right for you to do that. I, I think you're right. I think especially because with both Jimmy Kimmel and with Colin Kaepernick, they do something that I think a lot of heroes, uh, our superheroes often do, which is they're able to have their own real-life experience and extrapolate that to understand the experiences of those who are like them, but less, less beneficial, you know, less privileged than they are. You know, Correct. Colin Kaepernick, I think one of the most important things he has said is that for all of his success, for all of his money, for all of his prestige, in the eyes of a lot of cops, he's still just another N-word. Um, you know, and that, 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 and I, we recently just had um, a football player from uh, um, Oakland, I believe, who just a couple of days before the season began was arrested and uh, treated quite horribly by the police because they didn't know or they didn't care that he was a professional football player. Sorry about that. Okay, well, twice now the NSA has tried to shut us down and twice we've resisted, so clearly we are being heroes in our own right. Um, Resist. Or we're just having technical troubles and making far too much out of it, but I prefer my version (laughs) of the story. Um, Your version of the story is more entertaining and well, sets us up as heroes, exactly, triumphing and, over adversity. And as I think we're going to get to, that's a big part of what makes heroes is, is how we tell the story of them. Um, mm-hmm. But, but here's the point I was getting to before is that I think one of the biggest issues with both Colin, one of the things that, that I think makes Colin Kaepernick and Jimmy Kimmel important and, and even heroic in, in both of their ways, although I think in some ways Jimmy Kimmel I think is taking much less of a risk than Colin doesn't make what he's doing less important, but I don't see it as quite as heroic. Um, but I, I still think it's great that he's doing it. But in both cases, they are taking a personal experience that they have had or could conceivably have and extrapolating it to those others who are less privileged than themselves. Um, as I was starting to say in the case of Colin Kaepernick, you know, he is someone who understands that for all of his money, for all of his privilege, for all of his you know, relative social power – in the eyes of many police officers, he's still going to be just another N-word, um, as was proven very recently with a, um, uh, an NFL player, I believe, on the Oakland Raiders, who was uh, beaten up in Las Vegas by cops who either didn't know or didn't care who he was. They just saw another black man who they saw as a threat um, because of racism within the police. In the same, and, and I think what Colin Kaepernick has been able to say is, this could happen to me. It could happen even more so to any other black person. This is why it's important that I take the stand. In the same way, mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel um, has a sick child, and has a child, and I think that his experience of of dealing with, you know, astro- what would be astronomical health bills, if he and and very difficult to acquire medical coverage, if he didn't have the very good health insurance he has, and and his awareness that under the um, under some of the laws that were were being discussed, his child might become someone who had a pre existing condition and thus couldn't get good health insurance. And that, you know, Jimmy Kimmel with his income might be able to deal with that, but certainly it would be hard for him. And he knows it would be so much harder for someone who doesn't have the money, who doesn't have the, the prestige he does. And, and what I think is striking is that for both of them, they're able to say, if this could happen to me, it could happen to anyone, and that's why it's not okay. 
Um, and that's, I think, something we see, you know, Batman, that's his whole idea is this happened to me. I don't want it to happen to anybody else. Right. So to to sort of move on a little bit, uh, one of the reasons I thought Jimmy Kimmel might be an interesting transition is that uh, for another uh, example, another set, I'd like to talk about people who were definitely seen or a person who was definitely seen as a hero in, in a lot of people's eyes. Um, and, and basically we want to talk about what happens when, uh, they do something that disappoints us. Well, can I, can I actually and, hold off and ask you just one sure, more sure. question on the Colin Kaepernick yeah, thing? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Which is taking sort of what we're talking about, history and the like. How do you think history is going to view Colin Kaepernick? Do you think we're going to see him as a morally conflicted figure 50 years from now? Do you think he's going to be kind of the way Jackie Robinson or Martin Luther King is, that he will be universally seen as a hero or almost universally? What do you think history does with Colin Kaepernick? I would like to think that through the lens of history, Colin Kaepernick is seen as somebody who stood for uh, stood for his ideals and for a message that needed to be delivered, and did so did so appropriately. And there are a lot more dangerous ways of protesting than than what Colin is doing. And I think people can handle a little bit of a slap to the face if it means they get to wake up at the end of the day. And I think history will agree with me. I, I hope so. And that, that's why I asked, because I, in a weird way, that, that, that statistic I said about Martha the King gives me a weird kind of hope that mm-hmm. whatever we're seeing today, down the road, we may well um, uh, see him as more heroic, uh, or at least more people may see him as the way you and I already see him. Um, but but so, I, I do have a bright-eyed, optimistic, idealistic viewpoint of our future, so <laughs> take, that with, take that with copious quantities of sodium chloride. Good. Well, and now having established that, let's go to the, the counterexample I know you wanted to bring up of, of right. when heroes fall from grace. Right, right. When, when, when our heroes do things that, that disappoint us, that upset us, that make us question if, if what they were doing was what we thought they were doing. Uh, and in this case, I'm referring for the real-life example to uh, Joss Whedon. Uh, many people by now know uh, Joss Whedon was uh, recently found to have been, uh, I want to say, a, a um, uh, what's the word? <sighs> serial, a serial adulterer. There we go. Uh, so so con- uh, consistently committing acts of adultery on multiple occasions. Uh, and this is somebody who was a self-proclaimed feminist, is still a self-proclaimed feminist, as I understand it, um, and uh, created a lot of works that a lot of people uh, felt very strongly about. I identified very personally with, with a lot of what was portrayed in them, uh, and were celebrated. We, uh, we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is celebrated as a very progressive show for showing powerful a uh, powerful female character, powerful woman character, who wasn't just uh, a woman doing everything that a man would do or, or acting like a man would. Right. Um, well, and I, then... And I think really ahead. essential just to name what we've had Joss Whedon is that it's not just that he was the ser- a serial adulterer. Um, it's that... And granted, we don't know the, the, the entire story, but with the believe victims idea, like I, I, it certainly seems very believable, um, that, that the, the story from his soon-to-be ex-wife is that the adultery was happening with women who he had kind of a, 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 a similar to what we discussed before about Martin Luther King, he he was able to use the power and prestige that he had to take advantage of women. And that that's right. really the key, the core of the issue is not even just the adultery, 
um, although that uh, that alone is also an issue, but but also just the uh, someone who is was seen as a paragon of feminism and thus as safe taking advantage of that to 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 be somewhat of a predator. Right, right. I mean, t- taking a bit, the idea is that that uh, if you take advantage of your position for something like to, toward that kind of gain, uh, that's not seen as particularly feminist. Right. So the what I find interesting uh, to talk about in this particular example is when we see this sort of thing happen, when, when these things come to light, do we think it cheapens all of the good that we saw in in what was already created by by this person, by Joss Whedon? Do we think that, oh, well, now I can't watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer anymore because it's it's tainted. It doesn't have the same message. Or do we feel that uh, is it more like the the Mel Gibson phenomena, where I can still watch Lethal Weapon just fine? Mm-hmm. You know, if, I, if you know what I, mean. I I do, and I think as someone who is a, a born New Yorker and, and a huge fan of Woody Allen, these are questions that I've had to wrestle with in in his regard. And I I think more than anything, it, it gets to an issue that is so essential for the the whole question of heroes, which is the danger of putting people on pedestals. Mm-hmm. Um. I was someone who was very disappointed to hear this about Joss. He is someone who I had a great amount of respect for and, and, and look to as someone who, you know, as, as a, uh, a straight man like myself who was trying to challenge his own, you know, male upbringing and, and, and his own toxic masculinity and, and produce, you know, works of, of, of film and of TV that, that I thought gave me some interesting examples of how to challenge, you know, different alternative visions of masculinity. That were not the normal toxic nonsense. You know, he was someone I had a, a great deal of respect for, but I always—I don't think I ever saw him as 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 the as the paragon, as the perfect person, as as that person up on a pedestal. And I I think that's what I've heard from so many people who talk about how betrayed they feel, is that I think part of what happened is that we, you know we're we're realizing that our hero has feet of clay, to use the, the old metaphor. Sure. That sure. It's that it's this idea of because I think you know. I don't think that knowing this makes me think that um, his work is any less great. Um, and that may in part also because I was already starting to think that some of his work was not as good as I, you know, there's a lot of things about Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I think are fantastic. There are some parts that I can look back on now, 20 years later, and go, eh, okay, that may have been good for its time, but it's kind of problematic. And 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 flashing forward, some of the stuff that I thought he did in Ultron with the character of Black Widow, I thought was really problematic. Um, and, and, and so it, all this is to say, I think it, it makes more sense to have a much more nuanced view of someone like Joss Whedon to say, can we appreciate their art? Can we appreciate the things that it can teach us without having to make that person a hero, without having to make that person up on a pedestal? Because um, I think a, a big – the thing that's been so hard with him is that when you when you when they are on that pedestal, it becomes really hard to separate the person from the, the work. And then that raises the question you're asking of, you know, can if he's no longer on the pedestal, can you still respect the work that he did? Right. And I mean, I would like to take it a step further, although I would like to comment as well that um, I very much share uh, with you a lot of what you just said, that uh, I appreciated uh, Joss Whedon's works and the position he appeared to be taking as somebody who was a man who was trying to understand what, what could I do or what what 
can I, well, what do I have the power to accomplish to help advance the cause of, of awareness of, of the lack of equality between men and women in our society and to, to fight the, the aspects of the patriarchy that still exist today that, uh, that create the glass ceiling that, that, uh, suppress. I, for me though, it did, when, when I first learned of the news, it was more upsetting than uh, perhaps it would have been for some other real-life figures because I had assumed that um, I had assumed a level of, of consistency to the beliefs being espoused that ran counter to what I learned. Mm-hmm. And that made me question at that point in time, so why is it that we don't allow our real-life heroes to make mistakes or to be flawed. Right. And what what is it about that when, when those things come to light that make us feel so betrayed? Uh, and the reason, so so the, the example, the, the contrast I wanted to bring up, um, I guess we decided that we were going to talk about Scarlet Witch and Civil War, which is, bear with us, because it, it, it doesn't seem analogous at first, but... Scarlet Witch does, in fact, uh, kill a bunch of people, mm-hmm. and it becomes the impetus. Uh, one, one of the one of the impetus, impeti, uh, <laughs> one of the things that the, yeah, one of the things that that causes people to consider the Scobie Accords, to consider pushing this. Like, and we need to get keep these people in check. We need to we need to register, uh, know what they're on about, make sure they're controlled. Um, but the story doesn't really explore. Um, the fact that, you know, Scarlet Witch really should be seen by, by people who were thinking of her as a hero as, mm, yeah, is that really okay? And like, I don't feel as good about this person anymore. We don't really get that portrayal. And I don't think anybody who watched the movie is sitting there looking at Scarlet Witch going, man, I just, I can't think of her as a hero in the same vein as some of the other Avengers now. Right. And what's funny to me about that is this is a fictional character who is who is designed to be you know easy to have in in this sort of black and white uh area and then deliberately has a mistake deliberately has a, a flaw thrown at us and i feel we are a lot more forgiving interestingly enough of when our fictional characters uh show that they're flawed than we are when real life people do it I, I think that that's very true, and I think especially what it really comes down to is whose story is being told, because as you as you said, you know, we 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 are presented it as Scarlet Witch was trying to do the right thing. She was in an incredibly difficult situation. She made what she thought was the best possible choice, and some terrible things resulted from it. Right, um, and it, I want to be very clear. I don't. I'm not in any way saying I think that that is analogous to what happened with Joss Whedon. Just no, no, to be, to want be, to make that very clear. To be clear, but but all of that is to also say all of that is being told. Everything that we know is about – I know so much more about what Scarlet Witch was thinking and feeling in that moment than I do about the Wakandans who are killed by her – You know, we don't know the names of any of them. Um, right. Or their families or – Right, yeah. And, and I, I, I remember I watched that and there was a part of me that was really troubled because I was watching it through the lens of uh, a time when – I mean still we're in this time obviously, but, but we were also at the time that that movie came out when law enforcement 
was sometimes for, for, for terrible reasons, sometimes maybe they were trying to do the right thing, though very debatable, but killing innocent black people, which, which Wakandans are also, you know? And, and if you think of Scarlet Witch as a law enforcement person, um, which to some extent she is, there's an extent to which you could tell an incredibly different story about Scarlet Witch, where Scarlet Witch and Captain America are used as the examples of people who did not have enough training, were out in the field when they shouldn't have been, had incredible amounts of deadly power that they did not have proper control over, and innocent yep. people died because of. Now, that's obviously an incredibly different story, and that's not the story we get, but it is the story you could have told from that set of facts. And I think that that's why it makes an interesting counterpoint with Joss, is that with our real-life heroes, when they, when they fall from grace, we, the media is going to give us the story of the falling from grace. Um, right. Sometimes. Sometimes it does want to give you the rehabilitation story. Uh, and I think that that's... It, but it, that comes later. They, they want to set up both sides of that narrative, I think, uh, because it tells a better story. Yeah. Uh, I'm very jaded and cynical when it comes <laughs> to this. No, but, I, yeah. I, I think it's a good thing to be jaded about. And I think it's... it's For, for, for me, I think... Um, you know what, and, and taking it back to, to, to Joss Whedon's story, it, it, it is such a reminder, I think, of that that trying to stand in judgment over someone whose life is being told to you through the media is always going to be a difficult thing, either positive or negative. You know that that at first, when Joss is a hero, all we are given is the stories of his heroism. All we are given is the stories of what a great person he is. Right, we we see videos of him speaking at a at a feminist convention, talking about to to the audience about uh, the word about the word feminist. I thought right. it was a, a very amusing video and, and very engaging. But th those are the kinds of things that we see, right? And it's not until the fall that now, and it's it's like a heel turn. It's a complete one eighty. Yeah. Now the narrative flips from. Uh, someone being presented as here's an example or something you can look up to or something that you can you can aspire to be to uh nope here's all of the dirt we're gonna we're gonna pull back the curtain and it's just some guy with some levers uh and apparently he's kicking a monkey or something like because he has to be doing something bad in addition to being somebody with levers behind a curtain and i guess kicking toto would have been a better way to extend that metaphor anyway i mean and it makes me wonder what you know, and I, I'm about to throw out a complete hypothetical. I'm not saying this is in any way true, but I just, as the hypothetical, if Colin Kaepernick's wife said tomorrow that he hit her, if we found out that Colin Kaepernick mm. had views on homosexuals that were really problematic or something else, you know, how would people react? Does that take away from the fact that he's doing something amazing now? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Um, I, 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 that's that's I, well, a great ahead. point. Sorry. I, that, that's a great point. I don't want it to. Yeah. Because it has nothing to do with – and I feel like that's there's that's not actually a, a complete parallel once again with, with Joss because in this case it has nothing to do yeah. with the stance that he's taking, right? Whereas what happened with Joss was very much antithetical to the ideas he was espousing, which yeah. I feel makes the impact uh, harder and makes it more difficult to believe anything prior to that point was, was – Genuous? Is that a word? Genuine, know... yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I think that's a really good point. And I think that that's the, the reason – you're right. It is not a perfect hypothetical. It's not a perfect analogy. But I think it, it – it, it, I, I really like the point you're making of can we move to an idea of heroism that is much more nuanced and that, you know, like um, 
the whole time Martin Luther King was having the affairs he had with women, there was this attempt by the FBI to, re- to, to document it and reveal it because there was mm-hmm. a perception of if that had become public at the time, it would have ruined him. Um, right. And I, I want to believe that it wouldn't have, but I have to think on some level it probably would have, or at least and it's, I think it's really damaged right. him. And I think you're right. And I think if the um, if it turned out that that he was uh, that that Colin um, was guilty of spousal abuse, as you say, I think it would very much like take this whole issue off the table for a lot of people. Uh, they would they would move right over to the demonizing this person and everything they stand for, which is really unfortunate because nothing about the message, nothing about the heroic acts has anything to do with that particular aspect of immorality. Right. Right. And yet, because we're holding people, because we like to apparently hold our, our heroes to these Paragon standards, to this, this idealized, um, morally inviolate people, that anything like that suddenly undermines their message, even if it has nothing to do with it. Well, and I think we should. I think we need to challenge that more. I, I think that's the most important point what you just made because I think there's there's a real di- there's two different ways we could see something like this. One of which is, you know, Colin Kaepernick is doing this great and wonderful thing, and so therefore anything else he does is forgiven. And I think that's a real mm-hmm. danger. I'm not, and I want to be very clear that we're not, you know, I, I'm not by any means saying if we found out tomorrow that he was, you know, guilty of some other terrible thing, it would be forgiven because of the great stuff he's doing. It- it doesn't forgive the messenger, but it has nothing to do with the message. Right, exactly. I think and that, that's the other way to see it, is to say we can acknowledge that this person is doing one great thing, one heroic thing, and that they're a wonderful person because of it. And maybe they're great in other parts of their life. Maybe they're not. We don't know and we don't need to know. Um, or at least it, it doesn't change whether that act is heroic. Right. And um, it's not that we don't need to know. I absolutely think we, we want to know. Yes, no, that's someone's doing bad things and i think i think the point you were attempting to make is is sound that uh uh it doesn't us knowing that shouldn't change anything about the good the person has done well and and to take it back to the to the heroes idea of the superheroes i think again i know i always go back to civil war and i because i i I think that is such a a wonderfully sublime movie and that it it captures Mm -hmm. so many of these issues and and here, one one more way that I am a little bit more uh, Tony than Cap is I think, for me, Tony Stark represents a more honest kind of a hero in that he is a very broken person. He is a person with a lot of flaws. He is a person with a lot of challenges. He is a person who's made some terrible mistakes. No one is going to put Tony Stark or Iron Man on that pedestal. Um, but we can still look to see some of the great things that he's done and some of the terrible things he's done. Like he made Ultron. Yeah, it's not I mean, like that. That's on him, as we discussed. Yeah, uh, so. that's that's a big deal. That's certainly a big deal. He also, you know, did a lot to save a lot of things. Um, right. and you know, he the, the the act at the end of Avengers, where he literally, you know, risks his own life to to, to try and yep. save New York City. Um, he gets PTSD as a result. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the point is, I, I I look to Tony Stark and I see a much more relatable person. Whereas I looked at Captain America, Captain America is an ideal. Captain America is a paragon of virtue. And and maybe this is just because I'm too cynical. I think if Paul were on this, he would definitely be, be, be critiquing me for being too too cynical about this. I just can't believe a person like that. If, I, if I'm – when I see someone like Captain America, 
I'm constantly waiting for that other shoe to drop to find out, do you actually, you know, use terrible language when the doors are closed? Do you, do you, um, do not treat your, your, your domestic partners in good ways? Do you not treat your kids in good ways? Do you kick your pets? You know, whatever it is, like I am, to me, I, I can believe a hero like Tony Stark because he is so flawed, because he's so believable, he's so relatable, and there's there's never a danger for me of Tony Stark falling off the pedestal because I'm never putting him on the pedestal. Sure, although we still hold him to uh, some, some heroic standards. We still hold him to be responsible, not in the way that you or I would, but to a higher standard than that, I feel. Um, How so? And, and in a lot of ways, so, uh, so for example, if Tony Stark was having a bad day and was in, I'm trying to think of a, a really like really pity or not pity, uh, pithy. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, just a really silly example. Um, goes and goes to order a burger, right? So when he goes into the drive through and goes to order his fast food burger and he gets it, I'm referring to Iron Man one here. He gets it and, and he takes a bite if he comes back around and chews out the the employee who made the burger because it didn't have, like, pickles on it or something. Like, a normal human being, I see people doing that all the time, and I'm all like, I don't really think you should be doing that right now. Like, that's not that big a deal. They're probably just going to make you another one anyway. Uh, but for Tony Stark, I feel like it's just 100% not okay and not anything they would ever write his character doing. I think it's to the point where they, like, no one would actually write him being that terrible of a person to somebody in that moment because he's held to that higher standard of, of behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, or if he went, well, I screwed up with Ultron. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm going to go to the Bahamas. Right. Like, which, you know, we, younger Tony might have done. We want to see contrition from our heroes when they fall. Exactly. exactly. Uh, we want to see that. and And so because of that, like we're we're always given it right when they are heroes, uh, and and I feel like we take for granted that we take it for granted that we that we expect it, uh, because it's never not delivered. Mm -hmm. It's never not that I, I can't think of any form of media where there's there's a hero who does something that's clearly clearly bad, clearly something they shouldn't have been doing, and they don't show remorse for it. They're just like, nope, yeah, I don't care anymore. The Punisher. I'm done. Uh. I would not classify the Punisher as a hero. Okay. Um, that is a topic for another <laughs> very, potentially very long conversation. Yeah. But I do not feel that vengeance is heroic. I, I, uh, I totally agree with you there, but I think that's one way. And I think when the, the Punisher show comes on, we will absolutely be oh, doing a – Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, I think – I mean I remember growing up, the Punisher was absolutely portrayed as a hero. When the Dolph Lundgren – He's know, still portrayed as a hero. Yeah, and 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 especially when you know in the 1980s when the cocaine situation was 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 mm -hmm. it was portrayed as much worse than it actually was, um, but but in those days when you know as ten year old kids we thought Colombians were as bad as 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 Nazis, um, the Punisher was was you know he was murdering drug dealers and so he was held up yep. as, as, as a hero. because right he was held up as a hero because he's killing those people who are killing our kids right right and it was that 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 stark of a black and white you know. He's good. These people are bad. And it's okay to kill them. Uh, we could talk about this again for a very long time because yeah. we're very chatty people, as I'm <laughs> sure many notice. Uh, but do you have any do, do you have any like final thoughts you want to share on the topic of, of real life heroes? On the topic of the differences between 
what standards we hold real heroes to, standards for holding our fictional heroes to, or or how we need to think about heroic acts or heroic people in a in a more uh, developed context, in a more mature context. Sure. I, I, I guess to me, what I would close with is g- talking about, again, Joss Whedon, we, we talked before about as heroes as people who teach us things, as heroes as people we learn things from. Um, and I think one of, the th- one of the questions I think you really raised is whether or not, now that we know that he did not live a life that was guided by the feminist ideals that we would have hoped it was, um, does that does that mean that his work wasn't at that he wasn't you know being genuine as he was trying to give feminist messages in his in his work, and 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 I think for me, it doesn't have to be a binary of one or the other because I think in, in a way and I'm not saying this makes him a hero by any means but it makes him an important figure to learn from as a as an as a danger to watch out for. I think there's a real danger in believing that you are a hero and thus becoming complacent about the things you have to worry about. You know, in telling yourself, I am, you know, a great defender of the poor, and so never really checking yourself to because you give, you know, away huge amounts of money. And so never really thinking about the fact is the business you do actually oppressing as many poor people as you are helping with your charity. Um, you know, and I think that, that those, that's obviously a, a top-level example, but this can happen to any of us. We can, we can tell ourselves stories and let other people tell us uh, stories of our heroism that lets us blind ourselves to the ways in which we're not living up to our own ideals. And I think, so, it, and I well, and we should finish, I think it is certainly possible that a writer could write ideals that he believes in, even though he is himself not living up to them because of that blindness. And I think that's another danger of putting people on pedestals and that it's not to excuse him, it's on him as much as anyone else. But I, but to me, I, it's not that I think Joss, you know, was just sort of, conning us and didn't really believe any of the feminist ideals. I think it's that he really didn't do enough analysis to recognize the fact that you, you know, that, that the fact that you write stories about powerful women doesn't excuse you from the ways in which men can prey upon women and that you're still just as much, you know, you're just as much liable to those things. Do you think we as fans or as a society at large even uh, own some of the responsibility for people being blind to those sort of things? Because of how we treat people we consider to be our heroes, because of how, I guess, how we treat is not quite right, because of the standard we hold them to. So what I'm asking is, do you think that because uh, we have this tendency to hold people to paragon these paragon standards, uh, that they start to believe in their own myth, uh, and, and it feeds into itself that, like, yes, I'm doing these things, I'm doing this great good, and that causes them to be blinded to all to to questioning themselves when they're taking actions. And uh, again, because that's the message that we're telling. That's kind of the message we're giving them by by treating them as heroes. I, I think that's a really good question. I'm not saying I'm responsible for Joss Whedon's adultery. Right. I'm just saying that. Well, no, and I, I, uh, think, I, I think that little the, the pithy comment at the end is exactly where I'm wrestling with this question because I think responsibility isn't a zero-sum issue because I, I, I want to couch on that to say to say that I don't think any amount of hero worship from the fans in any way excuses a single bit of what he does or takes any responsibility away from what he does. But, I, but I absolutely do think that you're right that the culture of heroism that we as fans buy into and participate in makes this easier. 
it, mm-hmm. it, it makes it possible for someone like Woody Al- for someone like Woody Allen, who I, I haven't gotten to talk about, but I think is another great example of a a hero who fell from grace and who used his position of power in terrible ways, um, and who also created incredible works of, of cinematic art. Um, and 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 just so with Joss Whedon, I think it doesn't excuse it, but I certainly think that that's an important factor. And I think if there's anything that I think that we can learn from this Joss Whedon situation, it can be we need to be a lot more careful about who we put up on pedestals because Mm -hmm. when we do that, we blind ourselves and we help them to blind themselves to the fact that these are still fully formed, nuanced human beings with all the good and all the bad that that can go into. And at, at the end of the day, I think, I absolutely believe heroes are real. I don't believe perfect people are real. And I think yeah. when we try to believe that someone being heroic means they are perfect, that's when the real problems happen. 100% agree. It's why I asked the question. Uh, you handled it very well. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> no, it, it's a great question. I think it's a, it's a great way of framing, and I, I think that's kind of a great way of, uh, of pulling this to a close. Um, All right. And so what about for you? Is there anything more you wanted to make sure we touched on? Well, interestingly, you led me into the point that I wanted to make, uh, and then I made it in the form of a question. So thank you for giving me that kind of a Socratic setup. There we go. Uh, But yeah, I just want to reiterate uh, for people who aren't bored of us talking yet that I think it's – well, I genuinely believe that real-life heroes exist and and people who are doing heroic things should be celebrated – I think it is important that we always cage that celebration with the understanding that these individuals are flawed and that it's important to acknowledge the flaws and to and to deal with them when we when we discover them appropriately um, and and either forgive or not forgive or to condemn or not condemn uh, on an individual on a one by one basis an instant by instance basis uh, but never never while we are only seeing the hero uh, be blind to the fact that these, this is somebody who could the next day have that problem. Always be thinking about if I learn tomorrow, as we, as we discussed, if I learn tomorrow, this person is guilty of some terrible sin. Does that change what they've done here? And if the answer is no, then the, what they have done is still heroic and don't let that take that away. Yeah, no, and I think I think that's a great point to end on because I think, and that's to me where this where this leads me to is why I am so glad that that places like Netflix are really being open about showing us, you know, wounded, broken, nuanced heroes. You know, Jessica mm-hmm. Jones in the most recent Defenders is an outright alcoholic, um, mm-hmm. and and down to literally stealing a bottle of alcohol from a homeless person in a morally horrific act. Mm-hmm. She, she is a hero. She is a hero with some, some some real struggles that she's going through. You know, Tony Stark is, Matt Murdock is, all of these figures. Uh, Danny Rand, I still just think is obnoxious. Um, but but I I think that that's such an important thing that that I'm really glad we're getting more storytelling that shows us people who are heroes in their brokenness instead of heroes in their perfection. Because I think because we as people are broken. Yes. Yeah. And I think it gives us it, it gives us a more realistic thing way to think of heroes in our own world and also give us a more realistic ideal to look for so uh, well jacob thank you for taking this on i i want to mention that we had planned an entirely different podcast for today um but at the last minute our our guest had to drop out so 
Jacob stepped in, rewrote a completely new podcast for today. Uh, so, Jacob, that was a heroic act. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm willing to characterize it as heroic, but well, you're welcome. Take the mantle. Take the mantle. You're, you're perfect now in my eyes. Don't disappoint me. Um, but, <laughs> um, but to everybody else, what do you think of this discussion? Who are the heroes in your own life? Um, who are the heroes, uh, you know – do you think we need heroes who are on pedestals? Is there a danger of heroes on pedestals? How do you see this connecting with the superhero stories that we love? Um, do you want do you want hero stories to be escapism? Do you want there to be perfect heroes, um, or do you think that it's better to have the the grittier, darker heroes? Um, let us know. You can find us at Superhero Ethics on either Facebook or Twitter. Um, we actually just got into a great conversation uh, on Facebook about the last uh, podcast, and so you can see that. Uh, anytime someone comments, all of us are, are watching and we'll happily jump into the conversation. You can also start a conversation with us on Twitter. It's a great place to, to get at us and uh, continue the conversation that way. And lastly, of course, you can email us at superheroethics at gmail.com. Um, please continue to listen. Please continue to check this out. We're going to have a lot of great episodes coming up soon, including, I hope, one about the, um, the Magic the Gathering story. Um, the, uh, and we promise for those who have no idea what the game is about – this is going to be a podcast about colonialism, imperialism, and geek boy stereotypes. So there's going to be a lot of great things to listen for. <laughs> Something so, we know a lot about. Just a bit. Just a bit. So on behalf of Jacob and myself and everyone else here, uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Take care. Oh, I'm sad. I don't have anything funny for, <laughs> uh, for the outro this time. I'll have to listen and see if I can find something good for yeah. you. Yeah, I, I do think it's important that we, we, we let that be organic, and when it happens, it happens, yes, and not try absolutely. to force it. Um, absolutely. Uh, I guess we could kind of make fun of my inability to know what words mean when I'm talking on the fly. Uh, <laughs> I, I made up a word genuous that is actually just genuine, but with more letters, I think. <laughs> so there's that. It's, it's you know, you, 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 we're trying to be intellectual, and intellectuals get to make like, up their own words. I was like, what's the opposite of disingenuous? And I'm all like, well, obviously, it's genuous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to be shoveled, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I all the times be shoveled because I'm very well put together. Uh, and if you've seen me in public, you know that's false. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the shorts and sandals look is clearly the most shoveled thing possible. I mean, it's very comfortable. Uh, I will be wearing a button-up shirt uh, for the GP, though, because uh, Stefan's knit us some bow ties. I, I heard about this. He, he showed, yeah, so... showed showed me his work. Uh, anyway, I really have to make dinner. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Roast man. some Brussels sprouts and make some omelet. Cool. Enjoy. This is fun as always. We'll talk more soon. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Matthew from Superhero Ethics, and on behalf of myself and my co-host Jacob, we wanted to offer an addendum and an apology for our recent episode about heroes. As part of that episode, towards the end, we got into a discussion about what happens when someone we think of as a real-life hero does something terrible. And as part of that conversation, I used the example, purely hypothetically, about what would happen if we discovered that Colin Kaepernick, who we saw as a hero because of his actions about kneeling during the national anthem, that what would happen if we discovered that he had done something like hit his wife or something else terrible. And during that conversation, I think we were not anywhere near clear enough that something like that would make, some, would make us not be able to see someone as a hero anymore. We too quickly got into a discussion about what does it mean to divorce heroic actions from terrible actions. Um, and while I think that there's a very important conversation that uh, we on this podcast and I hope people in many other places can continue to have about what does it mean to see people 
who have both done uh, great and terrible things. In that conversation, we were nowhere near clear enough, and we were probably mistaken in not really saying uh, very clearly that um, doing something like that would, 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 would make it not able to see someone like Colin Kaepernick or, or whoever it was uh, as a hero anymore. Um, and so I just wanted to say that we were really sorry for, for, for our words there and really sorry for the way we wound up framing that issue because that was incorrect and not what we should have, how we should have approached it. And I also just want to say that all this came about because one of our fans, of our listeners, I should say, uh, called us out and, and posted something um, saying what we had done and, and, and how it affected them and that um, they really thought we had been uh, incorrect in how we talked about that. And I just wanted to say, um, uh, again, on behalf of Jacob and myself, uh, how thankful we are that that person did that. Uh, and then to any other listeners, um, if you if you hear something we say that bothers you, if you hear something uh, we say that upsets you, if you hear something we say that you think is just flat out wrong and you want us to tell us that we were wrong, please let us know. Um, that is something that we, uh, I think, all of our listeners need because um, it helps uh, all of us to... Um, to, to uh, anyone who we have hurt already through words that we didn't mean to say um, or, or that we did did mean to say but we're just flat out wrong about. Uh, I want us to get the chance to, to revisit those issues. Um, but certainly also it, it helps us because it helps us to get better at podcasting uh, because this has been a really important lesson and Jacob and I have talked quite a good deal about what we can do to make sure something like this um, uh, really hopefully doesn't happen again. Because uh, I think for both of us, when we, we read the, the listeners' comments and, and thought about how what we had said had come off uh, and, and what we had said, uh, we realized it was not what we would have wanted to say and not what we intended to say and, and not how we wanted it to be heard. Um, so again, thank you. Please continue to listen. Please continue to, to call us out when we're wrong. Please continue to tell us when we do something that, that you agree with. Um, and, and please know that on behalf of both of us, um, we are truly sorry.